Hey! <laughs> oh, it's a tight. <laughs> That's better. That's right. All right. So, do you want to cover the? You're probably a little more up to date with the Adrian Green case than I am. Slightly. You have better knowledge of it than I do. Yeah. And uh, I think we can kind of just mention what's going on about it. Yeah, because that's very developing. We just mention it as just another, you know, yet yet another killing. Right. This week, I went ahead and uh, took the top off my beer before the show. So I didn't fiddle with a bottle opener like last week. All right. uh, Let me see if I have some invitations to send out to people for this, and then we'll just kind of keep it pushing. I'm not actually even going to bother with that. We can kind of just get straight into it. Um, I'm finding most of this is... Good content for um, the podcast, anyways. So this will all be deleted. <laughs> all right. So we always do the intro and everything before this. So you want to book beer? But first, beer. That's right. What are you drinking? I am drinking New Belgium, uh, just a Belgian style triple, man, from New Belgium. That sounds incredible. Which, I don't think delicious. I Yeah. So I had the 1554 last week, and it's in the same line. New Belgium is doing a Belgian collection. So check it out, man. Check it out in mirrored version. The Belgium New Belgium collection. Yeah. And, like, it's delicious. I mean, it's... You know, it's along the lines of a Golden Monk. It's the same exact style as Golden Monkey and Mary Monks. Okay. Slightly less alcohol content. It's under nine. It's actually 8.7, 8.5. So it's a little uh, easier drinking than those beers. Not as high octane as, you know, Weyerbacher tends to be. So straight it's real smooth, real delicious. Nice. Did you pour it out? Let me see the color. Yeah, yeah. Oh, that looks beautiful. That's like, what, a gold? There we go. Oh, yeah, there you go. I am drinking, yet again, Trogues Perpetual IPA. You're perpetually drinking it. Yes, next week I'll be bringing (laughs) different to to the table, though. So we'll be excited for that. All right. Let's jump straight into the sample game. Let's let's do it. You ready for this? I had some, I had some hot takes on my guesses. Marquise. <laughs> All right, cool. So this week we did a early release in terms of hints for these samples. Uh, sample game is where we'll find a. I'll find a song that uses a sample from way back usually but I've found some that have been like more recent but I'll pick one of the musical samples from that song 
and I'll play that for Chris and Chris has to guess what song it is. So for our social media now, we're putting out hints for each of the three songs that I think uh, identify either the artist or the, the title of the track for the, uh, the song that Chris has to guess. So the first one, here we go. Here's the sample. This is a song from Nina Simone, 1966. It's called Four Women, and you gotta guess what song the samples. My skin is black. Ooh. My arms are long. My hair is woolly. Is that Black or the Bear? I, I can hear the song that sampled it in my head. My skin is black. I can hear it. You heard but that I... part? My skin is yellow. Ooh, Marquise is helping you. Oh, legend is the OJ? Legend of OJ. Story OJ. OJ. There we go. Right? Hmm. I know I threw you off with that picture of orange juice because you thought I was doing the Tyler Earl cover of uh, Gucci. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I like this one. OJ says I'm black, I'm OJ. Man, I ain't black, I'm OJ. All right, cool. So the next one I sent you, ooh, this was the weird, uh, the one with the eye. <laughs> Marquise. Yeah. Yeah. So this one's going to be a little harder, I think, for you. This is from 1973 from the Isley Brothers, and the song's called That Lady. Ooh. It's really this beginning right here. Oh, it's, a, it's, a, it's a Kendrick Lamar song. It is a Kendrick Lamar song. From, from The Pimp of Butterfly. Is that, is that Lucy? No, think about the hints I gave you. With the eyes? With the eye? <laughs> it's called Eye. Oh! <laughs> no, he definitely sampled that on Lucy, too. He might have. He had to. Yeah. As soon as you say the Isley Brothers, I'm like Kendrick Lamar. All right. Because that whole album is an Isley Brothers sample. Uh-oh. What's the three dots, Marquis? You not happy with my hints? Not happy with my hints? All right. So here's the last one. <laughs> it was a dad joke. <laughs> <laughs> it worked though. Uh, this is from 1977, Lou Rawls' "Early Morning Love," and this was the the moon. Huh? It was just the moon. So mm -hmm. here we go. the beginning that's definitely on a kick cut on on man of the moon yep yep is that the first is that the uh is that the first is that the intro track no 
don't think so. It's like a, it's like, it's the intro to the song, right? I can, I don't remember the name of the track, but I can hear it in my head right now. Called Higher. Yeah, yep, yep. Yep. So that was the sample game. I said last week I was going to make it a little tougher, and I think I was successful. Yes. <laughs> All right. So with every episode, we want to start bringing you guys topics on beer. We said that was going to be part of the theme going forward. So the next beer-themed part of this podcast is going to be about hops. And we'll start it off simple enough. What is a hop? So, what is a hop, Tyler? Because I did the research. All right, so hops, if I was going to do like just a quick, I didn't look up anything, hop, it was a Khalil. What a Khalil? <laughs> Khalil just bypassed you and said hi to me. The hate. <laughs> uh, hop is what's going to give you your like bitter flavor in, in beer. I think hops are, you know, when I think hops, I think IPA. So this is not my scientific definition, but this is just what hops are to me. They're the bitterness. They're the, uh, I, I think what brings a lot of character to a beer in terms of like when you're looking at the four base ingredients to a beer, this brings a lot of character into it, in my opinion, because I drink a lot of IPAs. <laughs> well, apparently the, uh, the hop is supposed to be the flavor. Right. Yes. So, and it is. <laughs> What? And so then it is in many cases. Yeah, and it all depends on the process. But hops are the flower of the humulus lupulus plant, which is also in the cannabis family. Right. It's a cousin. Right. It's a cousin of that. So that's why you will actually see a lot of like the 420 strain in beer, because um, they'll play around with hemp as well and throwing that into it. Yeah. Well, I, it's interesting because I did, I remembered researching this because I was interested like a couple years ago. Um, I don't remember too much of what I do remember is basically the main difference between cannabis and hops is the fact that it doesn't have any THC in it. That's literally one of the bigger, one of the only differences because every, it has the same aromatics, which is why it smells like weed, mm -hmm. um, why you can get a lot of dankness from, from it. Right. Um, so that is, that's kind of where that comes from. So all we had to do is sprinkle some THC into the to the mix, and we're having a <laughs> gay old time. <laughs> um, sure. There are many different hop varieties because hops can be grown across the world. It doesn't really matter, but you're going to primarily get it from, like, the northwest region of the United States, at least. And then you got some German hops that I think are very uh, popular. Uh, but there are, they're divided into two types of varieties and categories, and it's all based on what part of the process the hop is introduced into a beer. So you're going to have your bittering hops. Uh, they'll have higher alpha acids. Now this is one you know I'm reading, making them more uh, economical for bittering beer. And then you'll have like your aroma hops, and will tend to be have more essential oils. And I 
think the aroma hops are actually put in later into the process and the bittering are before. So that bittering taste that you'll get from a hop is when it's put in early. And then that actual like smell, when you, ooh, this smells hoppy, that means the hop was put in later in the process. So that's really what you're getting. And then we'll go into what makes different hops unique and what you're actually getting. So when you see Cascade hop, when you see Mosaic, you know, you'll have an idea of what that actually means because that's intimidating when you're first trying beer and you just see all these hops. Like this has Bravo, Chinook, Mount Hood, Nugget, Citra, and Cascade hops into it. And that's very overwhelming because I would say I kind of can only identify Citra and Cascade and Nugget. Yeah, and this doesn't say what kind of hops were used. So this is going to be as much as a uh, journey for us as it is for anybody listening. So thank you for coming along on the ride. Yes. By the way, quickly. What's up? Quickly before we segue, what is your preferred hop? Or what hop do you like when you see a beer? Like, oh, damn. It has to be Mosaic. Whenever I see Mosaic hops, I get excited. And that's all because of Joy from Great Lakes. Well, you got Harry made a good point. Citra is second for me. Okay. Citra hops. My first is Simcoe hops. Mm, that's because you like that samurai. Simcoe samurai. Woo! But yeah, so a lot of breweries will incorporate the hop name into the beer name because it's what people are starting to be able to yeah. identify as uh, a flavor profile in in beer. So when it's like, oh, everyone's into IPAs, I don't like that bitterness, I don't like la-di-da, that's not always actually the case for the uh, for the beer. And that's why, you know, a lot of breweries are adding the information of when they put the brew, the, the hops into their, their beer and explaining stuff that way, because it is an actual signifier uh, to what that beer will actually should taste like. Or the background flavor profile of it. Correct. Especially the, especially the aroma. Right. All right. So let's just quick jump into the, we're doing a quick news update. It's not normally what our podcast does. That's not usually part of our podcast routine going into the news, but because of what has been happening over the last couple of months, it's kind of important, I think, to stay on top of the uh, shootings and the uh, police, police brutality and just this, the racism and modern day lynching that's really happening. So obviously we could start off with a mod artery. There recently was released uh, CCTV surveillance footage. Uh, and that shows a mod apparently going into the, the construction site prior to the, uh, the shooting. Uh, but it doesn't show him stealing anything. It doesn't show him doing anything, uh, unlawful except for you know trespassing and if you've been following along looking at the comments like i do very often you'll notice just the wave of people who are kind of expressing like okay but who hasn't walked onto a construction site or a neighbor's construction site or just a building site or abandoned building site out of curiosity who, who hasn't quote unquote trespassed and uh to say that there's still no warrant for use of deadly force. Uh, I was doing the research prior to this and some of the other research that came out was Gregory McMichaels who had left the force in 2019, I believe as an investigator, 
did so because he had failed to update over several years his firearms and use of force training. Oh, fantastic. <laughs> Clearly an issue. Yes. So, you know, there's the the attorneys on McMichael's side are saying there's new evidence coming to light that will show that everyone has jumped to conclusions on his guilt and racism, which I believe only to be the CCTV footage, uh, unless they have groundbreaking, shocking new evidence, which is right. going to be hard to justify to be hunting down and murdering somebody is justified. Uh, and the, yeah, so that, oh, and <laughs> the information about his failure to comply to regulations and updating on training shows a lack of, ah, it just shows a lot for, to be honest. So it does show a lot. It does. It, sh it shows exactly why he was in that situation the way he was. Um, but, you know, this training thing, um, what is the training? You know, how, how comprehensive is it? Mm -hmm. um, is it just a paper type thing? Um, I don't know. Because, it, uh, because of it being a gun law, state by state, it varies widely. So uh, I, don't, I don't know. But it, it does show a clear lack of um, upholding rules and regulations, yet they're very stringent when it comes to this black dude in a in a construction site. All of a sudden we have to be perfectly, you know, by the book. So. <laughs> you killed it. Bad. Um, right. And then so going for, further with this, because this isn't the, the bulk of our conversation, we just kind of wanted to bring this to light again. You had brought to my attention earlier this week, uh, Adrian Green. Right, and it, this case is a fucking mess from the get-go. Um, I haven't seen too much yet as, you know, it's so new, the story's developing still. Um, but basically, uh, a 17-year-old kid was shot in the back, um, apparently for breaking into someone's car. Mm -hmm. And they they're arguing that it was, you know... Um, the stand your ground bullshit again. Right. Oh, I was I was terrified for myself and my family. Therefore, I was authorized to use deadly force to shoot someone in the back. Now, there's a lot of things that are questionable about it. For one, the car was nowhere near their actual property. It wasn't like it was in their driveway. It was apparently 20 feet off the property. Okay. Um, the guy sh shot warning shots, apparently. On the 911 call, he said he shot warning shots. The warning so I don't know how terrified you are. I, you mentioned it, yeah. Yeah, the warning shots is what killed him. Right. Uh, I'm firing warning, warning shots. I'm terrified for my life. I'm approaching this guy 20 feet off my property, um, and I am terrified for my life. Therefore, I'm going to shoot warning shots, but then somehow going to shoot the dude in the back. I think Harry and Marquise just brought up really interesting points. Harry had said prior, I feel like training isn't going to change how someone is going to view a perpetrator. And I, exactly. th I, I think there is a level to it because I think it's the unlearning process that needs to happen in terms of 
profiling. I think that's where we, we determine what a perpetrator looks like. Uh, I think that actually speaks into representation, the, the main part of our, our uh, show today. Uh, then Marquis said, we're going to see this trend happen more and more. Each time this happens, the story hysteria goes up and then white people, white people, sorry, don't know how to act. We're going to see copycats. It's actually annoying and it's very true. Uh, well, you know, it's crazy. Um, the lawyer for Ahmad Arbery, one of the things he mentioned in one of the articles I read was the fact that this whole thing about, you know, um, claiming, you know, citizens arrest or claiming, you know, this uh, stand your ground stuff is relatively new. Um, the article that I saw about the Adrian Green stuff had mentioned that there were two other men who since um, since Trayvon Martin's killing uh, that tried to use the stand uh, the stand your ground law and were convicted of murder and mm -hmm. sent to jail. So I'm hopeful that this trial turns out in a positive light, but you know, you can't help but have your doubts when you saw Trayvon Martin's trial and, and the things that went on there. Um, to me, there's nothing more cut, you know, cut and dry and concrete than the Trayvon Martin situation, yet George Zimmerman got off on it, you know? So that kind of shows a lack of, a lack of competency in the justice system. Yeah. I think, again, Marquise is bringing up points that we'll, I, I think we're going to kind of touch in to when we get into the big part of our right. our episode. This is sub, He says this is subversive part of representation. The more we see Black people criminalized, then they will act the way they do towards us. It's how over 50% of Latinx folk are represented as immigrant. So if this mm -hmm. is the way white people witness a new culture, then they will assign these stereotypes. And that's where you see the black criminal. That's where you see the immigrant that comes in and is committing crimes. Like th this is part of the representation that is dangerous. This is why we talk about in our black media series, the, the stereotypes and how they are harmful and how they impact us in the workplace and the education system. So it, this is all very true. And that's pretty much why we kind of brought this up in terms of why representation matters. Well, there's one more person that we need to highlight and discuss about and honor, I believe, is uh, Breonna Taylor. And I've heard it over and over again. I just kind of want to make sure I get the facts right. This was in Louisville, Kentucky. Uh, she was an EMT worker in two different hospitals. Uh, she was at her boyfriend's house. The police, depending on who tells the story, police mm -hmm. identified themselves and knocked on the door for everyone listening there are air quotes and before they busted into the place when they busted the door down with a warrant to arrest somebody who didn't exist in there looking in that apartment said apartment looking for drugs that weren't in that apartment the boyfriend the, the man whose apartment that was shot because Hey, I'm scared for my life. You just busted into my apartment for no reason. So he injured, he didn't kill anybody. He injured, I think, two officers. The officers then fired off, I think, 22 shots, eight of which 
hit this poor woman, Breonna Taylor, and killed her. Then they arrested the guy for attacking officers and put him in jail for like $250,000. So there has been no arrests. Nobody's, I don't think anyone has been uh, plain clothes officers. Oh, and this specific force, this like division, doesn't need to wear body cams apparently. Oh, that, that's a that's a that's a topic. That's a topic for another for another episode. We could have a whole yeah. two hour discussion about body cams because for some reason they always seem to stop working right at the moment where some fucked up shit happens. Right. Is it just me well, or is we see everything up until the moment where we need to see it and then all of a sudden the body cam didn't capture anything. And again, that is a conversation for a different time because to quick wrap this up. We, we didn't even get to the point where the person that was under investigation and had the, the person, like the apartment that the warrant was for, was already arrested and wasn't in that apartment. They had the wrong apartment. So there, there's, again, there's a lot. And this was back, I think, in, when was this? Was this February as well? Uh, it might have even been earlier. It was March. It was March, okay. So this was, and this is talking about COVID and how it's been affecting specifically the black community and the fact that this stuff was happening and it kind of got swept under the news radar or the news rug and it wasn't right. until there was bigger outcries. Arbery uh, murderers wouldn't have been arrested if it wasn't for the video being leaked. Absolutely. Taylor would not have, excuse me, the current recognition in terms of news coverage if it wasn't for our community again being outraged over the fact that this isn't, this hadn't been a bigger piece of news. Absolutely. I know Dear Redding, when we were talking about everything, we had Brianna on the list of people to talk about along, along with Nina Pop and what happened with her. So there's, there's just a lot going on right now and, it, and it's tough. So transitioning into the main topic, because I think we're about 27 minutes into the episode already in terms of the Instagram live, uh, we kind of wanted to discuss representation, you know, and the kind of we belong here, I think is the name of this episode. And the importance of people of color, the presence of people of color in all spaces. Did you want to talk about that a little bit? Yeah. Um, the, the, the issue with it, and I think this is exactly what Marquise was talking about earlier, is you see in media, on the news, social media, whatever you want to call it, you see this representation of a person. And if all the representations of a person that looks the same are negative, you're going to have a negative reaction and connotation to said group of people. Um, and this is exactly what we're seeing. We're seeing the fact that there, there is an exposure to, there's enough exposure to black people doing um, educationally and socially beneficial things. Um, it's always about anything that's beneficial. It's either about a show for people or it's, that's, it, that, that's really it, a show for people. You either have entertainers or you have sports, which, which is entertainment. Mm -hmm. Um but when we talk about fields like STEM fields, um, 
even even in TV and film, in roles that um, in in roles that aren't specifically targeting the black community, you know what I mean? To show to to show a a piece of life outside of the typical like black exploitation process or a hood film or something like that, you know what I mean? Or even even a black power type of um, type of show, um, such as Dear White People, you know what I mean? That's a fantastic show, but the representation is still lacking in a show that has nothing to do with race or anything, just to have a few black people, not just the token, right. you know what I mean? Like an actual diverse cast. Right, exactly. Not someone whose sole role is to help with uh, comedy to help break up the, the tension and the, and the, and the, right. the mood. I, I think Scrubs is one of my favorite shows growing up. And I just started watching it again recently because of the, the passing of Sam Lloyd, uh, Ted. And it started to make me question what was the role of Turk. black people and basically Turk. And when you look at yeah. it, Turk's character, he was, he was definitely more, he had depth to him. He definitely did. He couldn't say he was underdeveloped, but he wasn't there. He was there as the jock character. Again, he was athletic. He was, you know, he was, he wasn't the medical, you know, doctor, doctor. He was the surgeon because surgeons were the jocks of the, the roles. And a lot of the times when you saw Turk and him brought into it or Carla, well, not Carla, Carla actually, I felt had a lot of to play into the role, but, uh, Laverne, I think it was, the, the other nurse, yeah. the other black nurse, they yeah. came in in very comedic roles. Right, yeah. And that, that hurt a little bit for me, because it's like, damn, I thought I could really, like, I was like, look how they, they got it right, and then I was watching, I was like, ah, okay, I see. No, nah, but they really did, because when you think about it, you have Turk, originally, what was his role going to be? I think he was a fan favorite, so you kind of have to expound upon his character a little bit, so... You know, it, it just kind of falls into that same kind of category. Um, journalism was another sticking point in my mind um, in terms of importance of representation. Uh, to have that viewpoint out there, reporting news, reporting things that actually matter to the Black community or people of color in general. To have a voice coming from that place uh, to put things out there and investigate things uh, in a way that other outlets might not, um, and and you could you could go on in terms of where representation is important. Representation is important everywhere, mm -hmm. and I think that's kind of what we want to get at. Is you know you want to you want to have representation in these places so that people start associating us with those activities and things. Not just sports, not just entertainment, but as doctors, as engineers, as um, teachers, as um, you know, scientists, um, as journalists, you know, having a face. Yeah, it's all about being in that space and owning that space, the same as any other person would. No, oh, exactly. I think one of the points I wanted to discuss about in this conversation was uh, expectations and how expectations matter. And just kind of that, that representation is when you are not represented 
in areas, a lot of times you do not expect to be in those areas. Excuse me. To be in those areas and you accept that this spot or this place wasn't meant for you. And with that in mind, you start either, and I always go back to the classroom type of thing. Like if you're constantly being told, this isn't for you, this isn't where you're gonna belong. I, I was reading something that talked about Neil deGrasse Tyson in that sense of how he was often told, you know, to go a different route rather than how he ended up in science. And you either rise, you rise to expectations or you accept your limitations. And I, I think that's very true. You either accept the, this to be reality and you lower what your, your expectations are and you just kind of conform or you rise above it and you start forcing your way into these places where you cannot be ignored anymore. You see that with the, with athletes, even in terms of, okay, at first I was just a way for you to make money. And now my contract's nice, but that's not where I'm getting my money from. I'm leveraging my myself as a person to get paid. This is also part of why college athletes often are fighting for getting paid because the school is making money off of them. Um, oh, shit ton of money. Shit ton of money. Oh, shit ton of money. Exactly. And, and this is, again, representation. And it's just, it's a very, it's a complex issue and it's not a complex issue. Just show people in empowering roles and show that this is places that we belong. But for some reason... The idea is simple. Yeah, the idea is simple, but the execution of the idea... Like, how do you get that to happen? Right. That's complicated. And it's difficult. Um, because of all of the social, socioeconomic structures that are in place to disadvantage us already, um, because of our country's history, it's difficult to just throw someone up there. You know, we have Neil deGrasse Tyson, fantastic. He's one person. He is great because he can show us that someone like him can do it. You know, someone who looks like him from New York City, from the hood of New York City can do it. Right. But there's always that kind of like token example or that token process like, okay, you're the one guy who did it. You're, you're very special. You know, he's a celebrity. He's very special. No, he's not. He's, he's awesome but he's not like an exception to the rule. Right. You know what I mean? He has the talent. There, there are thousands of kids in New York city right now with his talent at his age, at that age that he had, they just need to be given the opportunity to show that talent and cultivate it. I, I think you just said the word uh, that's very important too. You said opportunity. And I want, I know you and I discussed prior to the show, some of these talking points and you had ran out. Some of these areas of representation are more visible and some are more impactful, but it's the underlying reasons behind why these fields are not diverse. That is the issue. And you had listed opportunity gap, economic standing, systematic oppression. And I kind of wanted to discuss even the current situation that we are all facing right now with COVID and more specifically looking into the education system. You are talking to some of these kids who don't have the opportunity, whose economic standings does not put them at the same level and same equal playing field as their peers. 
and the systematic oppression has ensured that. And when you take an up, when you take a look at how people are approaching the current climate of this is the best time for entrepreneurs, or this is the best time for you to really put yourself ahead of people. There is truth in that statement, but then they're also not taking a look at the population that doesn't have the same opportunity. Because there are definitely people, there are definitely children who are in the same class, who are sitting at home, who have the resources to tighten up their skills, put them ahead of their peers, because there's an other set of peers whose equal opportunity existed only in the access to resources while physically at a school or physically at a recreation center. And while they are stuck at home, and especially if they don't have access to technology, if the Wi-Fi is not some, if, if internet does not exist at that household and there aren't the necessary resources for them to develop their specific skills that they want to, they are going to fall further back, further behind than they already were. And it's, it's evident. And that's, that's where the representation matters. Uh, I, I think because when you're talking about how impactful it is to people in these situations, it becomes regular. In my mind, it becomes a regular thought that everybody needs these resources. You know, how, how do you make sure that everyone has access to these things? How do you break down the systematic uh, devices that have prevented people from actually being on an equal playing field? And having actually, yeah, it's my th my thing is there's and and it's it's actually interesting. I had a I have a a, a very quick um rep uh not reference. What would be the word comparison mm -hmm. for people that might not be thinking this way in terms of the racial and socioeconomic issues. Imagine, so I, I follow this uh, YouTube channel called Foolish Baseball. Amazing videos yeah. about baseball analytics. Dude knows his shit like crazy, and his videos are really good. Um, check him out. But, <laughs> but uh, he did a video on Mike Trout, who is the best baseball player playing right now. Right. And Mike Trout was picked like – Oh man, he was. It was like an Aaron Rodgers situation where he was just way down in in the draft, and he was the only person that showed up live to the draft, to the MLB draft in New Jersey. Um, and person after person was just take, getting picked ahead of him, and he went the the channel went through like why why is this why was this guy who is going to go down as one of the best to ever do it. Why was why were all these people who barely even made or didn't make the league picked before him? And the reason came down to exposure. MLB was not going to southern New Jersey to watch baseball games. One, because of the climate of the Northeast region, the opportunity to go out to those places was limited by the weather. The other the other thing was there were other like kind of like AAU competitions that gave way more exposure that he wasn't able to attend. And because of that, 
he didn't have the exposure to be seen in a light um, with his peers. Once he was given the opportunity, he was able to show it, but he had to work so much further than the next guy with less talent and more opportunity to get further or to the same place rather. So it's kind of like that same issue where you have someone who is immensely talented, like could solve a huge world issue, t- you know, when they come of age. Right. Sitting in a place where they don't have access to a computer to learn and grow and cultivate their knowledge in a sufficient manner. And then also to have the exposure to the people that have the power to get them to places. Because that's big too. It's not just about, um, it's not just about what we think of ourselves. It's also about what the outside thinks of us. More importantly is can we get people looking in at these kids in the inner city? Mm-hmm. You know, get these people to look in and see, wow, you have just as much, if not more talent than this kid over here that has all these advanced credits, all this other stuff going for them. But you have the talent and the cult and we can cultivate this into something great. Right. And I think that's a very important part, too, because when you're, you're talking about the inner city and looking at these kids that have the talent and have the ability on getting the exposure, when they do succeed, we look at it in a way of they succeeded despite all these challenges. And you look at the other schools and like when they succeeded, while they were exception, exceptionary, exception. Yeah, sure, exceptionary. Yeah, and then not only that, it's like you the expectation was there for them to do it. Like you believe in their ability. You, you right. Good for you. Like. Uh, way, way to go. Right, exactly. And it's when you turn it back to, I use writing as the example always because that's where we're from. It's, wow, that's really good that you were able to do that coming out of writing. Like, good, good for you <laughs> that you weren't this talented individual and that other outside forces, not the actual school, like, geographical location but the things that happened to that geographical location actually were the impeding things they they look at reading the place as the reason of maybe not being able to actually succeed rather than looking at why does this school district have a disproportionate amount of funding per student then why missing could my education really be determined based off of where i live which is interesting because you go to college and you realize wow i'm at the same exact place as these kids from these school districts you know what i mean we ended up at the same place to and then but then there's the optics of i'm up here like i'm i'm ascending i you know i'm up there well they're like man i i I guess i got there i'm down here i'm coming down two different two different levels in terms of, like you said, expectations. And I think that's, you got to change the frame of reference. We expect this much, but if you're going to expect this much, you have to give the resources to get to that level. You know what I mean? And that, that's, that's the real issue is the resources, the opportunity, you know, who's going to give the opportunity if we don't. Right. And I think, 
coming up on about 15 minutes left of the show, we have to look at another element of why representation is important and, and being seen in these places. And it's the two-way street of fear. I, I think this is a good conversation for you to kind of lead. Yeah. Um, so I think, like, like you said, it's a two-way street in the sense that fear from the outside is what's leading to the violence, um, the racism. It's, it's fear. It's, it's all fear. If you, if you take a look back at um, the TV and film series with stereotypes, you realize a lot of that comes from fear of repercussions from the oppression that you put on a people. Oh, they're going to come, you know, and you, they're going to come uh, have sex with our daughters and, you know, destroy whiteness because they're angry. It's all about revenge. You know, fear of revenge that leads a lot of the, the anger and, and stereotypes. And it's, and those things continue to today, but it's all based on fear of the unknown. You know, when you don't understand something and you don't try to understand something, usually there's two reactions. You could either back away, shy away, and withdraw, or you can attack. And that's what I think you see a lot of. You have people that are withdrawing. They're not giving their hand out for an opportunity and then you have the you have the the uglier side of it with you know the cases that we talked about earlier where you just have blatant anger um, and violence just based on someone's skin color. Um, so you know fear works that way when it comes to racism. Um, the other the other way and the reason reason it's a two way street is there's fear from inside too because you don't see yourself being represented in these areas, you don't think that you belong there. They're, you're fearing that because it's, it's an untreaded, it's untreaded water. You know what I mean? You don't see yourself there. So you can't imagine yourself there, you know, therefore you're kind of uh, withdrawing into your shell and not experiencing new things, things that wouldn't be stereotypical of someone that looks like you. Therefore, you're never really pushing yourself into those areas. And it takes, you know, special people, you know, ex you know, extraordinary people to push into those areas and create the space. That's why it's so difficult. Um, that's why it's so difficult to push and diversify areas because you need the cream of the crop to get there first. You know what I mean? To show people that, hey, I can do this. You know what I mean? It's it's not really it's not really the trickle down effect in a sense because you want to get the masses coming with you, um, but you know in the same breath, someone needs to get there first. You know what I mean? Someone needs to be the first to do it, and then from there it's about how you cultivate that. Right. So transitioning and, and trying to bring it back to some of the key components of the show. Mm -hmm. I think the first step towards that is talking about tennis, right? So I, I know I sprung this on you. This isn't in our show notes. <laughs> so when you when you talk about representation and why it matters, because you said something very important to me was it it sparks and encourages that 
that desire, that willingness to be in those spots. So when you look at tennis, and tennis was, was and to this day still is a very white dominant sport, especially when you just say the word tennis, the tennis player yeah. that comes to your mind. Obviously, the biggest example is Serena as this powerful dominant force because she is the best tennis player. But when you go back and you start looking at how did that develop? Well, that developed with the Althea uh, Gibsons uh, paving the way with the, the Arthur Ashes. But when you talk about not just being in that space, but then pushing and inspiring more people to be in that space, you know, Althea Gibson had a lot. It, I think it speaks more to her credit than it actually does to Arthur Ashe's credit. And that's a lot for me to say because I'm a huge Arthur Ashe fan. But when you talk about not just Althea Gibson being black, but being a black woman, and then still the, the disparaging, like the, the, the gap of time until somebody yeah. came as an African-American woman to, to be a dominant force, but was also allowed opportunities to be the dominant force. You have Serena Williams, and then you look at Serena afterwards, and you're talking about Madison Keys, you're talking about- Oh, the, the American women, they're, all, the, all the good American women in tennis these days are black women. But when you look at the men's side, since Arthur Ashe, James Blake. Which he was good. No, he was really I, good. Not to take anything from James Blake, but to, to talk about the who is the next carrier of the flag or the torch to push well, hoping... true, true insp inspirational forward. Because what black male African-American has won a title since Arthur Ashe? No, no one, right? None. I, so I would have to double check my like my. Now, gr granted, the two best, the two most accomplished tennis players to ever live were playing in that time, mm -hmm. but we have we have uh, uh, what's Tiafo Francis right. Tiafo? He he's coming. He's super young, so we'll see what he does. But there's so much but pressure on the gap, exactly, and it's all on his shoulders because there's not enough representation. Because I think the last male American tennis player to win open or, uh, yeah, a, a tournament, a major, was Andy Roddick. And that was, like, 2003. Yeah. So not only does he have to, like, Tiafo right now has a lot of weight on his shoulders as an African-American, like, as an American tennis player, but then as an African-American tennis player, and everyone's eyes is on you. And so now you're, you're yeah. expected to be that – much stronger and he's somebody that i saw in the net gen you know magazines as your next up and coming like tennis player prior to him making the pros so he's had that expectation since he was younger and it comes back to the exposure he had the exposure so he had the opportunity there are so many other tiafos out there who never got mm -hmm. that exposure because he wasn't going to, like they weren't going to tennis camps they didn't have the opportunity to do tennis tournaments they weren't sent down to florida Right. He's not the exception because of his talent. He's the exception because of his opportunity. Right. And then to dive even deeper into who we are, a fucking terrible poor idea to show that. To show this. Damn it. Uh, <laughs> but the representation of African Americans and people of color, Latinx community, and craft beer. Because yes. when you're looking again at what we talked about earlier in this episode, 
you, you look at the opportunity gap, you look at the economic standing, you look at the systematic oppression, and those are three very relevant issues as to why there is not representation in the craft beer community. Black people don't like craft beer, bullshit. How are we being exposed? How do we have the opportunity to be exposed? And for the people that see it, if you've never, if you're 30 years old and you've never experienced anything but Miller Lite and Bud Light, mm -hmm. why would you want to try something new? You know what I mean? And it goes back to the fear aspect. You know, it goes back to, uh, this is something weird. This is something out there that, eh, I don't know. I'm comfortable with this. So this is what I'm going to stick to. I don't want to broaden my horizons. You know what I mean? It comes back to that. Mm -hmm. And again, it could be a, a big step in changing the perception is representation in media. When you're looking at these commercials, mm -hmm. oh, 100% right about the opera. Uh, that he feels the same way about the opera as well, is what uh, Allsop said. But shout out to Allsop real quick, because he's like a day one supporter, and we just love to see him in the group chat right now. Uh, but going back, when you say craft beer, the image in your head is the bearded postgraduate white male. With a flannel on. Which again, I, I fall into that category when you talk about postgraduate flannel beard. And then I, I fall off on the white aspect of things. Halfway. Uh, <laughs> but it, it, it's that, that um, oh, Harry just felt, felt attacked. Sorry, <laughs> Harry. Hey, Harry, you don't have the beard now. You can't be feeling attacked. Minus the postgrad and the full beard. He just has the mustache, which is glorious. Uh, but changing that that perception and, and media as well, when, when you know you have these big dogs in terms of the Millers, the Bud Lights, and everything, who are able to really pay to get their you know their brand in front of people and to, and to show people holding these cans, and that comes part into the uh, economic you know opportunity. So there, there's a lot of things I feel that are at play into why there isn't as big of a representation into the craft beer community, and part of that is talking about the fear aspect of things. What happens when you walk into a white dominated space as the obvious outlier? Everyone's head whips right around to you. And most people do not like that amount of un, unwarranted, not unwarranted. Yeah, un unwarranted attention. Yeah, you're right. Like if you walked into a place and the record skips, you know, and everyone's staring at you like a West Reading Tavern or something, you know, people, you know, you don't want to stay there. You don't feel welcome. Mm -hmm. So not only are you going into a place where the product isn't exactly what you'd like and you're not really feeling it um, or, you're, or you're scared to try something new, you walk into the place and you don't feel welcome and no one looks like you. Right. So then, how how much are you going to want to go into that place? And what's the incentive to try something new? Because everyone right. there just showed you that being new isn't a good thing. Right. Because it's rarely ever people turning their heads 
seeing you and going, black people. <laughs> you know, they're just like, do they, do they know where they're at? Yeah, you walk in. Oh, it must be one of the uppity blacks. <laughs> right. Because you're you're putting yourself into a position where you're not supposed to be. Right. And that's where come that and that's why it's important for representation in craft beer. Because not only is it an avenue for uh, black business in terms of the brewers, you know, and the breweries, um, it's another space that is traditionally and stereotypically white, um, upper class, and affluent. Something like wine tasting. It's the same kind of thing. So when you have a space like that, you want to break into it and show that diversity isn't going to bring it down and that it's not some kind of one-off that a black person actually likes a craft beer or is actually knowledgeable about craft beer. Um, it's just another walk of life that shows that this socioeconomic disparity doesn't mean that the person themselves, um, him or herself, would not fit here. Right. It's all about the opportunities they were given. Exactly. I, I definitely feel in an equal opportunity, like an equal opportunity world, you walk into a craft beer, uh, you walk into a craft brewery, and you don't feel forced to play the number game. You know, you don't walk into these spaces and are just overwhelmingly outnumbered or feel outnumbered, you, you, uh, if that makes sense at all. I, I yeah. think it's, it's about... Everybody is so diverse in their interests. And I, I do feel there's a lot of diversity in terms of who's actually being seen and like, who actually exists in America at the moment. And for that not to be representative of the spaces that we walk in, show that there's not equal opportunity to be in those spaces. Absolutely. Again, um, it has nothing to do with the group of people's interests from a natural standpoint, it has nothing to do with their status of a in a natural standpoint. It's all about how they fit into the socioeconomic um, construct of the country. All right. With one minute left in this, I just kind of want to give a shout out to everybody that jumped into the IG chat and, uh, and was interactive with this episode. And for everybody that was just here to watch and listen, I hope that you got something out of it. It was a really good conversation. We will be going into hops more next week. Uh, maybe mosaic hops. I, I called it. We're going over mosaic hops next week. I think Simcoe would be good. Uh, we'll, we'll do a uh, IG challenge, and you'll have to vote either turtle for Tyler or the ape for you. So we'll put that, that challenge out. We'll do it on Twitter and Instagram. You guys will vote, and that will determine what hop we discuss next week. But thank you guys so much for tuning in. And until next time. Peace.